When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Paps Blue Ribbon is always smooth, always refreshing, and the perfect choice at the game or out with friends. And now, add gold to the great PBR tradition, because Paps Blue Ribbon was awarded the gold medal for American-style lager at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival. That makes four gold medals for PBR in the last 11 years. Not bad. It's that gold medal taste that has made Paps Blue Ribbon a Twin Cities favorite. When you're this good, quality always comes through. Go for the gold. PBR me ASAP. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Go get that first down and get a touchdown. Rock em, suck em. Welcome to another edition of the Purple Podcast. I'm Ben Gessling from ESPN, joined by Judd Zolgad here in the Hubbard Broadcasting Studios and joined remotely by Matthew Collar, who is down in Indianapolis for the NFL Scouting Combine this week. We will probably be talking a fair amount of Adrian Peterson today in in the wake of the news yesterday that the Vikings will not pick up his option for the 2017 season. Certainly an expected conclusion or an expected development, I probably should say, in that story and uh, I'm sure there'll be more to come with that, certainly with Adrian Peterson. And there's also uh, plenty of Vikings developments from the Combine. Rick Spielman, of course, speaking to reporters today and speaking uh, at the podium after the side session with Twin Cities reporters, of which Matthew was a part. So, uh, guys, we'll start off with the Adrian Peterson news. Obviously, everybody knew that that option was not getting picked up. Everybody knew that they were not keeping him for $18 million next season. But to see what Rick Spielman said to see some of the things Adrian Peterson has said, what percentage do you guys put on the likelihood that he is back here next season at this point, knowing what we know at this point? Collar, go ahead. Well, I would say uh, I'd put it right down the middle. I'd put it right in 50%. You sit right on that Rick fence. Spielman is not uh, revealing which way he's leaning, at least uh, as of this morning when we talked to him. Every answer was, keeping our options open, keeping our options open. The only thing that would uh, tip me toward Adrian Peterson coming back would be that uh, in Peterson's statement, he sort of said, yeah, maybe we could find some common ground. And in Spielman's statement after they uh, announced that they wouldn't be picking up his option, it was, yeah, well, we're going to continue to have conversations. So the fact that they're still talking and both sides are saying, yes, it's still a possibility, would leave me to think, well, you know, maybe they would decide to do it. It's kind of hard to predict with as much as uh, they love Adrian Peterson and love what he's done for the franchise and believe that he can do things that other running backs have not been able to do historically. But at the same time, on the other side of Rick Spielman's mouth, he's saying this running back class is the best ever. And uh, today he reiterated some of that and also said that he felt like running backs, uh, even ones that you pick in the second round, because of their athleticism and playmaking ability, that they can catch up faster and that they can jump into a lineup quicker and make an immediate impact. So I am not sure which way the wind is going to blow here. I am going to say I'm going to take your uh, 50% 
Matthew and reduce it by 45% and say there's a 5% <laughs> chance he's back. I honestly, I believe between Spielman uh, telling you guys last week about the uh, draft class being so deep yeah. at this position, and I also believe that, that what we have here is... 2014 provided a preview of what could happen if the relationship didn't end well. I think what we're now seeing is resignation on both parts' sides, that it's it's smarter for it to end well. I think we are crafting a, a very functional divorce here. Okay. And and I think the, the kids have gone to college. Mom and dad w- went through their bad stage years ago. They still don't like each other, but they've decided for the kids' sake, let's end this peacefully. <laughs> let's just play nice. I think the statements that, that we saw Peterson... Go with to ESPN yesterday, and just as importantly, what uh, what Spielman said in the Viking statement on uh, Tuesday. I think all of that is there. Both sides are trying to play nice, but I think it is ninety five percent likely that the Vikings, at least, and probably Peterson too, but the Vikings have decided Ben Gessling. It's time to move on. Yeah, I guess I'll split the difference between where you guys are, and I'll put it probably. At 25, 30% chance he's back. I, I think some of what we're dealing with here is the fact that, like you kind of alluded to, Judd, you're not talking about just any player here. You're talking about a guy that his number is probably going to be retired at some point. You're talking about a guy who's going to go into the Hall of Fame. The The whole idea of how he goes into the Hall of Fame, fans bring this up all the time, that is not a thing in the NFL. That is only a thing in baseball. So we don't really need to worry about what cap he's wearing on his Hall of Fame bust because Correct. that's not a thing. But that said, you want to have a good relationship with him. You want to be able to bring him back to honor him the year he's going into Canton. You want to be able to put him in the Vikings Ring of Honor. You don't essentially want to have happen what has happened with Randy Moss, where it doesn't end on good terms, and then it takes five, six years to even get to a point where he comes back in any capacity supportive of the Vikings like he did last fall. And the only reason that really happened was he happened to be in town working a game for ESPN that was being broadcast on Monday Night Football, so they had him blow the Gallerhorn. But that's really the only thing he's done in any Vikings capacity since he left here. And you're talking about one of the great players in the history of the franchise. So there is a little bit of tap dancing, I think, that has to go on there. But the fact that Rick Spielman said this is a great draft class for running backs, and I think the fact that Adrian Peterson for the first time is going to have a chance to go out and look at his options I don't think the Vikings are going to get a deal with him done in the next nine days. I think if he's back, it's coming back after going out of the market and not necessarily getting what he wants. And I I think there's going to be an element of Adrian Peterson that says, I don't want to have to go back to this team that, like, as it would be with any veteran player. Where, Mm -hmm. I mean, we see this all the time where guys are being asked to take less money and they're more likely to do it somewhere else than they are with the team that asked them to take less in the first place. I think that's ultimately where we're going to end up. Uh, I would not be shocked if Peterson is back, I guess, but I tend to lean more in the direction of that we are headed towards, like you said, Judd, a very amicable divorce. Question for both you guys. Do you see a good case? Do you see a compelling case just from a pure personnel standpoint? So so the fact that, that he's a great player or was a great player, forget that. Is there a case to be made to bring him back? I can't make one. I mean, yeah. I, I don't see an upside here. Do you call her? Uh, the only case that I could make is if they really switched around how he was going to be used, which I think if he goes somewhere else, he's going to find that he is not a bell cow back and he's not going to come anywhere close to 300 carries, even if he's healthy for a full year. I mean, the, the talk about him going to Dallas. Well, how many times would he actually touch the ball he's not going if to he Dallas. went to Dallas? Or even Oakland, you know, Oakland split all their carries between three different running backs and had a ton of success doing that last year we've seen uh, philadelphia do it in the past when pat Shermer was the offensive coordinator under chip kelly where they split uh where one guy was more of a grounded pound type and then another guy darren Sproles, would be coming out of the backfield and catching a lot of passes if there's any case it would be okay adrian here's your role when we need a couple of yards or when we're ahead in the game and we're trying to kill clock that sort of thing you're going to get the ball the majority of the time when we bring in three tight ends but other than that, it's going to be Jarek McKinnon or it's going to be drafted running back X who are catching the ball out of the backfield. And I have a hard time thinking that Adrian would be okay with that role, especially in Minnesota. At the same time, where else is he going to find a different role where he's the guy? I mean, I think that's, that would be the biggest case for him ending up back in Minnesota in general is just 
if he goes out on the market and finds so little money available, I mean, if Eddie Lacy goes back to Green Bay at $2 million, as was reported the possible price, I mean, who's going to say to Adrian Peterson, oh, yeah, here's six, seven, eight million million? No, I think that he's going to get a lot of one-year, $1 million deals from most teams. And if the Vikings uh, see that as, okay, well, we can get him at an extremely low price, then maybe there's a chance that they do it. But I think under Pat Shermer, it would have to look a lot different than it's looked over the past few years. I do also think, uh, based on some conversations with people in his camp, that the Vikings offensive line and its current state is a concern. I mean, uh, you know, he mentioned it a little bit yesterday, I think, in his statement. And, uh, you know, he certainly, I think, has said it a couple times, talking about the need to fix the offensive line. I think in, in that interview he did at the Super Bowl, maybe with NFL Network, he alluded to that. But that certainly is something that his camp is looking at and saying, if we're going to have a choice of where to be here, do we want to go to a team that hasn't been able to block very well? And I, I think it, it makes sense for Rick Spielman. You know, Judd and I were just talking about this on the radio. It makes sense for Rick Spielman to say, hey, we need to fix the offensive line because, <clears throat> number one, that says we are going to go out and spend money in other places, and you need to understand that. And number two, it says if you want to come back here, we're doing this in part to help you out. So you get him to buy into the fact that they need to spend their money in other places. But if they can't do that or if they don't get guys that instill a ton of confidence in people that, yeah, the offensive line is going to be a lot better, I certainly think it's just as likely that you go out and say, well, if I'm going to go take my chances somewhere, it's going to be with a team that has a better line or a team that maybe looks a little bit closer to winning a championship in part because of they have more pieces in place on offense. Key to me, guys, uh, is going to be this. And this is this is the X factor that intrigues me. Uh, and I think the reason why they're trying to get this to, to end well comes from up top. I yeah. think the I think to the Wilfs, it's very important. In fact, I would love to know now if we could go back to, to 2014. I would love to know now how much influence came from the top to to make Peterson happy. Because I mean, the Vikings, the Vikings. If you look back at that entire situation when Peterson clearly wanted out, had a very compelling case to say, "Okay, fine." And I think the pushback at that time would have been very small. Uh, so. I think the Wilfs did their damnedest uh, to make him happy at that time. And so the 5% that I leave on his potential return really does come down to if he's out there, he's out there, he's out there, and he comes back to you and says, okay, I'll just come back. Do they take him? I think if it's up to a football ops decision, it's no. Yeah, We moved on. The ownership angle intrigues me there because I'm not positive there's not a small sliver that would say, okay, you know what, play – We'll bring you back for one more year, incentive-laden deal. The flip side to this conversation, though, and the problem then becomes, do you put a Shermer and the offense in a position to feel obligated to use him? That's what that's my concern. If I'm the Vikings, I don't want this whole, this whole off-season plan of our starting point is, what do we do with Peterson? I want the off-season offensive plan to be, how can we retool things to make us as effective as possible? And if you're going to bring up one name first, it's Bradford, not yeah. Peterson. Yeah, and it's one thing to talk about making nice with Peterson in March. It's another thing in November when you're throwing the ball more than he's used to and he's not happy with the number of carries or he's not fitting in as well in the offense if you're trying to shift it. I mean, that to me is is the thing here too, is that do you want to put – him in a mix where the offense is changing and it's not something that he's completely comfortable with. How is that going to play beyond just the met, the the optics of, yeah, we brought him back, he's still going to play here. I mean, they talk about wanting to have him retire here. Now, I've spent enough time with him and I've talked to him enough times about this to know that he does not see his career ending at 32. He does not see it ending at 33. He sees it ending somewhere around the age of 36, 37 and, and Injuries and, and time and the interest of teams may have something else to say about that, but this this prospect of having Adrian retire as a Viking could be something that is a lot longer than the Vikings think it is if he stays healthy and says, I want to keep playing. And at some point, you may just have to say, it's, it's time to move on, and if you want to play, it's not going to be here. But uh, this idea that 
we want him to retire here may not be a, a one-year proposition. Guys, get this. The key stat for, for me, I mean, Peterson has all the stats, right? Yeah. Rushing lead, blah, 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 collar. But get this one. The key stat for me is very, very simple. It's one. One, one playoff, playoff victory. Yep. You were drafted in 2007. Uh, there's a very good chance the 2016 was your last year. And in all of that time, in establishing yourself as a generational great back, you won one playoff game, who Matthew. who was standing in front of him when he won that yeah, one Brett playoff Favre. game? Yep. Which it, isn't it says something interesting? Right there. Uh, everything you guys are talking about there is all the reasons why it, if they ended the relationship now, that it could be fine and that they could protect his legacy as a Minnesota Viking and that they could walk away on good terms and not have any sort of bad blood with one of their all time great players. And yeah, I mean, his positional value as a, as a running back and especially a one dimensional running back, we could, I mean, debate that and just. You know, whether if he had had better quarterbacks throughout his career, if he would have more playoff wins, and on and on. I mean, he was one of the all-time greats and had one of the great seasons in history, and it was, at a time, one of the most popular players in the NFL. So, as the franchise, you want to make sure that when he walks away, that he still feels pretty good about his career in Minnesota and fans feel pretty good about the way it ended and, and doesn't get ugly. And I think if they did bring him back, even if it was a one-year deal with lots of incentives and tried to make it low risk from that standpoint, I still think it's a high risk deal because of what it might turn into. I mean, you said it, Ben, you can already envision it in your mind that you could talk yourself into it all off season. Oh, it'll be all right. <laughs> it'll be all right. And then when Sam Bradford's clearing 600 passes, and Adrian's not getting the ball very often, and he's averaging 3.2 yards a carry or something behind a still subpar offensive line, then all of a sudden you end up with a bad situation and a player who wants out and potential battles that go on in the locker room. I mean, for me, this is a great opportunity to turn the keys over to somebody else to step up to be the face of the franchise. I mean, I sort of felt last year early in the season that it could be Stephon Diggs, but uh, the way Sam Bradford played and the way they talk about feeling about how uh, he played last year, maybe there is. I ha- I've always felt that what we saw last year is Sam Bradford, but I wouldn't count it completely out that he has a really excellent year if he gets better protection. And then maybe Sam Bradford ends up being your guy. Or maybe, maybe Teddy Bridgewater comes back and his knee magically heals and he's the face of the franchise. But either way, it's time to find out who the next one is and move along from Adrian Peterson, and now is a great time to do it. Well, I would agree. I think the, the easiest, cleanest, probably most sensible thing to do is to say it's time to move. It's time to, to move on. And I think somebody, one of the columnists talked about it this week of of how I, you know, Spielman has continued to to keep Peterson around. And and yes, it's, it's, it's tough because you have a guy that's one of the great running backs in NFL history, and that's an asset that you want to – have available to you, but if it causes your offense to be at a point where your quarterback development is stunted, and and I, I wouldn't say that that's been completely on Peterson. They certainly have had their quarterback development stunted at times because they've had bad quarterbacks. I mean, Christian Ponder was a bad quarterback, yeah, and that's on them. Yes, that's absolutely on them, and that I mean that is part of it. But Teddy Bridgewater, I, I think, you know, from what we saw in 2014 to what we saw in 2015 there was definitely a difference in what they were doing on offense based on who they were trying to feature. And when you have a first-round pick as your quarterback and you are not doing everything you can to develop your offense into the one that's going to make him the most successful, that's where you have some side effects to it. And I think you know, that's the point where you say, okay, maybe it's time to, to make a shift here, especially when you have an offensive coordinator now that doesn't run the offense the same way as what they've been used to. And that, to me, is one of the big factors in this is that – Pat Shermer has no ties to Adrian Peterson. There's no history there. He has not typically had running backs that are like Adrian Peterson. He's had running backs that are like Brian Westbrook. And Jarek McKinnon is a lot more like that type of guy. Alvin Kamara from Tennessee, who I think makes a lot of sense for the Vikings, is is more in that mold than than Peterson is. And that's not to say that that you can't shift. I mean, you know, Pat Shermer obviously also coached Steven Jackson, so he's had more of a, a traditional running back. But even Steven Jackson was was more involved in the passing game, I think, in, than they've been in the past. So having a guy like that 
and Brick Spielman dodged the question last week when he got asked, does Adrian still fit in the offense? But that, to me, is a big part of this, guys, in, in the sense that with Pat Shermer here now, not a guy that, that has that history with Adrian Peterson, does that change the thinking in terms of whether he's it back? Should. It, it should. It should big time. I don't want Pat Shermer. My whole Should that be the trump card? Well, my whole my whole offseason platform is this. I don't want Pat Shermer to have to worry about a former superstar who plays a position at which I can find you a guy. Yeah. I want the entire focus, Collar, in my opinion, of of the coming months for the Vikings offense should be do we have the right quarterback, which is a big question. And Bridgewater <laughs> yes, very well might be done. So the question is, is Bradford our quarterback? And how do we fix ASAP the line? Those are the only two things. I can find you receivers. I can find you running backs. I can find you positions. So so we the Vikings, if the Vikings are putting any real thought into Peterson, they're wasting their time because their thought should be, how the hell do we improve left tackle, right tackle, right guard, and have we finally, after Rick has gone through quarterback after quarterback, landed on the right guy? I do not want to waste my time thinking about running backs anymore. And uh, to Ben's point today, uh, Spielman was asked kind of again about Pat Shermer and uh, how running backs might fit in. If you don't like the answer the first time, you just ask it a different way. Right? <laughs> so this time, that's uh, what I did last week when I asked him about the offensive line, and he just gave me that I know exactly what to do. It's like, well, I'll ask you about the draft class instead and see what you say about <laughs> right. that. That's that's how you do it. Yep. Um, so today, inside he baseball said, for you, there, fans. Acknowledge that the traits of the offense, the way he put it, the traits of the offense were different under Shermer, which we know was more quick passing. But, you know, another thing, too, and this just tells you how off-season it is right now, I ran the snap counts for the fullback when uh, oh. uh, after Pat Shermer took over. Sorry, I just nodded off there that, for a second. What's that? I said, sorry, I just nodded off there for a second. <laughs> yes, yeah, I know, I know. I get it. But, Proceed. Uh, Zach Line was used a lot less yep. under Pat Shermer outside of one game. So, for the most part... They were moving away from the fullback, which would also kind of point you in that direction toward Pat Trimmer is going to want to go out of the shotgun all the time. I think Sam Bradford is better out of the shotgun, and uh, Kevin Seifert from ESPN had a stat that 95% of Adrian Peterson's career runs have come not out of the shotgun. So you're talking about a guy who never really plays out of the shotgun, isn't successful when he does, and uh, that's the offense that your offensive coordinator wants to play. There's really nothing schematically that makes any sense about bringing Adrian Peterson back. It's just whether they would be willing to do it because uh, his name is Adrian Peterson. And, and to your point, Judd, another thing from Rick Spielman today about the offensive line and fixing it, it's quite clear that they don't believe there's an offensive lineman that they can draft with their second-round pick uh, that is going to be a fix at any of the positions right away. Uh, especially the tackles, because Spielman talked about uh, being excited to use some of the third and fourth round picks uh, as you know, having maybe some good depth guys oh, that drop there uh, because it's a really deep draft at some other positions. So it didn't sound to me at all like, oh yeah, uh, we we feel like there's a bunch of starters on the offensive line in this draft. I mean, I, most of the draft experts are calling it the weakest by far on the offensive line and really deep at other positions. Well, and and I, I think we should probably also acknowledge the possibility that all of us are focusing a lot more on Adrian Peterson because of the story and because of the name than the Vikings might be. Sure. I, I, I don't know. I just don't want them doing that is my right, point. Right. We can focus on it. Yeah. That's fine. I don't want them wasting their time talking about a guy who used to be really, really good and now actually poses problems for you at times. Yeah, but one of the things yeah. I wonder is maybe – what they're doing is, and, and I think in some ways they're, they're sending this message, is that he is not priority number one. Priority number one is the offensive line, and we'll come back to this later. If if they come back to it at a reasonable price, that's a little easier to deal with than our first priority being what we do with Adrian Peterson. And, and from what I've heard, and I will give them credit, I don't think their first priority is what we do with Adrian Peterson. I think it is, how do we fix the offensive line? How do we make this offense work better? And if he fits in it, and it works for both sides, great. But I don't think that, like I say, we're we're talking about it and we're going to talk about sure. it because it's interesting and and uh, he's certainly a guy that has meant a lot to the franchise. But from a pure football perspective, I don't know that they are sitting up at night thinking about his future quite as much as as maybe those of us uh, in the 
business of bloviating like to do. So, guys, I saw a, a report, early combine speculation, which uh, which I'm sure is going to pick up in the coming days, too, this week in Indy. But I saw a report this morning that supposedly the Vikings and Broncos are uh, are in in the contention, or the top two teams, I should say, for T.J. Lang, the right guard from the Packers. Let me crank ru- up that I twenty nine. Let, let me Highway twenty nine express. Let again. me run the scenario by you guys, and I don't love it, but I could see it uh, because you know, obviously, when it comes to line line play, we think big left tackle. You pay him huge, blah blah blah. What do you think about this potential scenario at Winter Park? They bring Khalil back at left tackle. Okay. Uh, Boone is your left guard. Berger stays at center. You sign T.J. Lang uh, to shore up the right side, and then then you go not all go in. T.J. T.J. right side, but you go but you go right tackle is is somebody who, if playing by a veteran, could benefit. Do you all T.J. right side is that what you're? I'm at? not advocating for T.J. Clemmings to ever play another down again for this team, <laughs> and I'm not going to do that to the fan base, collar. But you know, just as far as as potential realistic scenarios, does that one have have a ring of validity to it or is it crazy i think you're on team well, tj i think it's realistic because there are a number of guards who are really good uh kevin zeitler is one of them larry warford is another and tj lang too it's i mean really no, uh, no offense to whoever reported that but you could put vikings interested in offensive linemen <laughs> sources say next to literally every offensive <laughs> lineman who's been a starter right. because they're going to be looking into Everything. I mean, uh, Russell Okung gets uh, released by the Broncos, and immediately the report comes out. Vikings are interested. Of course they're going to make phone calls on all of those guys. The Matt Khalil idea. Now, there was something I thought of the other day when I was looking back through his 2015 season that I noticed was, you know, with the North Turner offense, Teddy Bridgewater was dropping back and holding the ball for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I got the number from Pro Football Focus. Over three seconds to throw the ball on average for Teddy Bridgewater. It's a lot less for Sam Bradford. Some games for Sam Bradford were near two seconds to get the ball out in some of his better ones uh, under Pat Shermer. And even though Khalil has had some rough seasons over the last few years, if you were talking about just having to kind of hold steady over there and be even just below average but serviceable at left tackle, as long as, you're, to me, you're not committing to long-term five years and $60 million or something like that with Matt Khalil, it might work better than my initial reaction when we were talking about it was, I'll run away at 1,000 miles an hour because he struggled so much. But if you're talking about a different offense where he gets the ball out quicker – it might not be a bad idea. And the right tackle, I also think there's some better right tackles out there to sign. The left tackle position is so tough because there's literally one guy who's good and everybody's going to want Andrew Whitworth. The right tackle, there's, I think there's a few more options there where you could get someone who could be halfway decent. So as, as an overall fix, I think that that would be okay. You would upgrade from one of the worst offensive lines in the league to maybe like, the 17th best, which I think at this point is probably uh, a huge upgrade for you on offense. Well, I think 17th best would be good enough to win with because it was not 17th best in 2015, and they won 11 games. Now, they were they were more productive, obviously, running the ball at that point than they have been really at any other point since. But I, you know, with the defense being what it is and the passing game at least approaching functional, I, I think – you can win enough games to be competitive if you have an adequate offensive line. Pabst Blue Ribbon. Always smooth, always refreshing. Gold medal winner at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival. When you're this good, quality always comes through. PB Army, ASAP. You mentioned Teddy Bridgewater holding the ball. I mean, yes, the, the numbers certainly were more in that in that line, and I think... I remember looking it up, and he was he was certainly among the top. The, the guys that held the ball were typically guys that that were more mobile. I mean, Cam Newton's up there, Ben Roethlisberger's up there, obviously Russell Wilson. I mean, those guys tend to be guys that hold the ball a little bit more. Because I think I remember looking up some of that stuff after raising that issue with Mike Zimmer, and I think he was always with the the mindset that no, Teddy's not holding it too long. He's trying to make plays when there's nothing there, and uh, you know certainly in some cases he was able to do that. But yes, it is a different. Set up now, and uh, certainly Sam Bradford probably 
can help. I mean, the, the, the pressure numbers last year on Bradford really weren't that bad. Now, the, the, the two questions there are, were they altering what they had to do on offense because they didn't trust the line? And certainly the numbers in terms of yards before contact would suggest that it w- they were almost worse run blocking than they were protecting the quarterback. I mean, I, I think we should probably make that point when we talk about this group. It is not necessarily the same issue that it's always been. They have had more trouble opening holes for running backs than they have protecting the quarterback, at least last year when you had a quarterback that probably helped the case by by getting rid of the ball as quickly as he did. So like you're saying, Collar, that that may make a situation where Matt Khalil makes a little more sense here than he has in the past. And, you know, I think they're going to have something like $37 million in cap room if Peterson is gone, and that's certainly enough to get into the mix. I mean, do you do you guys think – I mean, say they sign a guy like TJ Lang. Do you go out then and spend money on a tackle too, or do you try to go more of a middle-of-the-road option or try to develop somebody? Where where do we go with this? I, I, <laughs> I, I don't, don't like trust, that last option. I don't option, trust but him to develop anyone at left tackle. I, no, I'm not saying left tackle. I'm saying okay. right tackle. Thank you. What do you do at right tackle if you sign somebody for a decent amount of money at right guard? Uh, if you sign a right guard who you really trust and you think makes the line that much stronger, I could see trying to uh, get by with a right tackle who I like and I possibly don't love. To me, the whole thing, this whole conversation starts at left tackle Yeah, because it's Bradford's blind side and yep. Bradford gets hurt and it was by the grace of God that he didn't get hurt this yes. past year. So. If you want to go really good guard by younger or not great right tackle, I could see that working. I, if you try and get by on the cheap at left tackle, good luck to that. Yeah, especially in the sense that left tackles, I mean, we're talking about it, left tackles don't make the market because they're so important that teams don't want to let them go. And that's why you don't have that many options out there. That's why we're, we're talking about Matt Khalil at all. Uh, Matthew, what else has been uh, percolating down at the combine? I mean, it seems like there's a couple of things about Sharif Floyd out there today, kind of informed speculation that he may not pass a physical, which makes me think that uh, informed speculation probably came from conversations with certain decision makers. Um, <laughs> what's, uh, what's the story on Sharif Floyd down there? Uh, yeah, well, it's been kind of bubbling for quite some time, the idea that Sharif Floyd uh, might not be back with the Vikings next season. And really it goes back to – very early in the year, after week one, when Sharif Floyd gets hurt and the first comment out of Mike Zimmer's mouth is, yeah, I'm used to it. And it yeah. was like, yeah. okay, so I guess we know uh, where Sharif Floyd stands. And then throughout the year, whenever he had a chance, Zimmer would reiterate his frustration with uh, Sharif Floyd's injury. And what a bizarre thing. I mean, I, I think uh, uh, the reported time for him being out after he got hurt in week one was supposed to be like six weeks. Am yeah. I remembering that mm-hmm. right, Ben? Yeah, it's something. And he just it was never not, came back. It certainly was not 15 weeks. I mean, it, it was something where, okay, he had another surgery. It's going to be, yeah, I think four to six was you know kind of that nebulous minor knee surgery timetable that we always kind of hear when when guys have operations like that. It was not 15 weeks, but the the problem is going to be they so they gave him that fifth year option last year. They picked that up. That was guaranteed against injury at the time, and the way that works is that if a guy gets through the season and is not injured to a point where he can't pass a physical, you can cut that player if you want to before the fifth year. Now, what the Vikings could end up running into here is the possibility that Sharif Floyd cannot pass a physical by March 9th, then the the option at $6.75 million is guaranteed for 2017, and there's been a few things written today that suggests that that may be where we're headed. And I think it's certainly common sense would tell you that that's possibly where we're going. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that may be where we end up, is that this injury winds up keeping Sharif Floyd here at a pretty What did he do exactly? Tag. What? So what did Sharif do exactly to turn this into a five-month ordeal? Well, he's had knee issues for a long time. And I can remember back in, in I think it was in 2014 first, when he, he like, they said he banged knees with somebody. Yeah, I remember that. And that was like a month. I mean, right. that was something where he either would come in and play and then could only play like a few snaps or he would miss games altogether. And then in 2015, he had surgery to remove cartilage from his knee in the middle of the season and I think ended up missing a handful of games at that point. And I, I'm trying to remember, I, I don't think he practiced a lot during OTAs and, 
and minicamp and all that stuff last year. And, and that was one of the, the the injuries that Zimmer would talk about during the offseason program last year. He didn't he didn't want to get into a lot of that stuff, but he did say that that Floyd was still dealing with a lot of the issues that he'd had in the past. So he may just be a guy that that has chronic knee issues, but if that were something that's going to keep him on your roster at at six point seven five million, that's probably not the ideal scenario, especially when that's a position that I think they're going to have to go out and address. Collar, what's the update on Cordero Patterson, who I know Spielman talked about as well? Yeah, Cordero Patterson, uh, well, there's no update yet on whether Spielman has talked to any of the representatives for the free agents. I asked that question, and it was um, brushed aside, to put it that way, that he wasn't uh, really willing to talk about uh, when, where, and so forth that uh, he was going to be meeting. Well, where is probably somewhere in Indianapolis. Yeah, that'd be my guess. Say and, uh, with Captain Monerland's uh, representatives and Cordero Patterson. So I don't know if they have met or if they'd have uh, conversations yet. But uh, his comments were really interesting to me because he said that uh, it was they liked what they saw from Patterson and how he fit with Pat Shermer. Uh, but they he left the door open for, yeah, but he's still not a complete wide receiver. The way that Spielman put it was, I think there's still ceiling left to reach, um, which I'm not sure if he means that that is possible or that he's a disappointment. And I think you could probably look at it in both ways. I mean, I, I don't think that there's much more to Cordell Patterson than what we saw last year, but I also think if you used him a little bit differently uh, in terms of uh, how you get him the ball, if it was more than just in the screen game, if it was some lining up in the backfield and things like that, maybe a little more in the reverse game. I, I can remember the one against Detroit where he had a 22-yard run, and then it was like, okay, we never saw that again really with, with Patterson. So it, it might be a situation where Pat Shermer wants him back at the right price because he is such a good weapon with the ball in his hands, uh, but it didn't sound like Rick Spielman was saying, gosh, we just can't live without Cordell Patterson. He was acknowledging that, yeah, he's never really going to be or probably not likely to be uh, the all-around wide receiver and superstar that we hoped for when we drafted him and traded up into the first round. I mean, the trick for me with him is what's the price? Because he's going to get paid, yeah. though, right? Well, yeah, someone's some, going to someone's going to get really get creative in, and say we're going to give you all these roles. He's tantalizing in that regard because, yeah, you can do a lot of different things with him. But based on his production, it's like, well, he's more than a kick returner because you've seen times where he can be really dynamic, but he's never really been a guy that has put it all together consistently enough to get paid on more than potential. And now he's still young. He's still a guy that that you could certainly look at, I think, in 2014, 2015, if you're another team and say, well, they just weren't using him the right way. And I, I know that there was that feeling in corners of the organization. I, there were people in the organization that were very frustrated with the way they were using him or not using him, I guess, is probably the more appropriate way to put it because they were trying to make him into, into a traditional receiver. And, and I think there were people saying, well, you can. we've seen what this guy can do. We saw in Bill Musgrave's offense that – he can be a guy that plays a lot of different places. Why can't we do that with him? And and I think there was certainly some rigidity to the way they were using him that, that got frustrating to, to certain people uh, in the organization. And uh, they got back to something that probably makes a little bit more sense last year. But uh, the question for me with him, like I say, is is how do you put a price tag on that? What's the market? Here's my question. What's the value? Here's my question, guys. If you pay him, let's say let's say you, you bring him in and you give him all the Cordero Patterson spreadsheets, and you're like, Cordero, we've been we've been studying your film, and we're going to do this and that and blah, 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 and we're going to give you a five-year contract. Do you trust him for one second? Yes. I mean, listen, yes, that, that well. gunner thing last year, to me, reeks of Cordero being like, well, I guess my contract's up. Sure, I'll do that. I'll be now... Matthew, if you if he's got a four year contract and you paid him his guarantees up front, right? Do you trust for one second that you're going to see Cordell say, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to continue to help this team as a gunner. I think Cordell's gonna say, you know what? I'm being paid a lot of money. I can't run routes. I don't care. I don't trust him. Well, as fantastic of a gunner as he was, that wouldn't really worry me so much, but I, I know what you're getting at with the bigger point. Yes. Uh, I think you know, I think Patterson wants wants the ball. I mean, like any high draft pick playmaker who knows that he can score touchdowns, that he probably does. And 
I think with Pat Shermer, from listening to some of Cordero Patterson's comments and interviews that he's done in the offseason, that he felt like Shermer found ways to use what he was good at, and that's all he really wanted. Uh, I mean, everyone wants to be the superstar, but if you're not going to be exactly that, you want to be a significant contributor, right? And you want to be a main part of the offense. So maybe there is a part of Patterson that's grown up. He could still be a little goofy when he has socks with his own picture on them uh, or whatever. But if you're talking about a receiving core that has two star all-around receivers in Diggs and Thielen, who you can count on all the time, and then Patterson, who every week knows that he's going to get the ball, knows that they're going to game plan to put it in his hands. I don't know if this stuck out to you, Ben, but when we were talking to Charles Johnson the other day at yeah. Winterfest, mm-hmm. and he said, you know, no one has ever game planned to get me the ball. Yes. But, you know, that's, that's what receivers want the most is to be a part of the game plan where they're trying to get you the ball, uh, and then that can help you succeed. I, I think that that's probably what Patterson wants the most is to be in a place, wherever it may be, where part of the game plan is to have him there week in and week out. So I don't know. I, I don't look at him and say, oh, yeah, well, he'll definitely just mail it in because it's not a contract year anymore. Maybe he would be less willing to be a gunner, yes. But if he's getting the ball in all sorts of different situations, scoring touchdowns and being the star that he wants to be, at times at least, uh, I, I think he would keep playing hard, especially if they're winning. Yeah, I mean, and the playing time thing is always going to be a carrot, and I, I don't think that – I certainly don't think if they bring him back, it's going to be like, hey, here's $50 million over five years. I mean, it's not going to be anything like that. They will structure contracts as they always do. I mean, in some ways, a second contract for him with the Vikings would have less security than the rookie deal was because the rookie deal was completely guaranteed for, I believe, the first three years. It was not guaranteed last year, and they, they obviously kept him anyway, but... The way the Vikings structure contracts in that pay-as-you-go approach that they have, they probably would give him some cash in terms of a roster bonus. It would not be an assigning bonus, probably, something that's going to stick on the cap for a while. He would get, if if they gave him, say, a three-year deal or something like that, he would get all of that guaranteed money. Most of it would be in year one. There'd be a little bit in year two, and there would probably be none of it in year three. So in some ways, that second deal is almost less of a sure thing for guys at that level than a rookie deal might be because the big guaranteed money probably isn't going to be there. You have to be, I mean, at at this point in the NFL, to get a deal where you're going to have tons and tons of guaranteed money, you have to be, I mean, there's only a couple guys on each team that are getting that. Most of the way that these teams are structuring it is you pay Really big money for one or two guys, and then. But it just takes one dumb team with lots of cap room to screw up. Sure, and with a guy a like Patterson. I, I mean, the Browns have a lot. I couldn't you see some of the analytics yes. guys in Cleveland yes. say, "Hey, you know, this guy has probably been undervalued." I mean, sure, there could be that, but then that's not the Vikings' problem. Sure. If the Vikings bring him back, I think you could structure a contract in a way that would still sort of keep that carrot in front of his nose and not get into danger of complacency as much as as it could happen with other teams. Give me a best guess here. Uh, Sam Bradford, if recollection serves me right, in March of 2016 yep. signed a three-year extension with uh, with Philadelphia, which he thought made them their starting quarterback, and of course then they drafted Carson Wentz, and all hell broke loose. Uh, that being said, this is very much the time when serious contract negotiations will start. Bradford's got a year left on that deal now. Uh, do we Do we think... That the Vikings are going to take the approach uh, that a lot of people in our end of the business are saying, which is wait and see? Or do we think that Rick Spielman's thinking to himself, I traded a first and fourth rounder to Philadelphia. I literally have no idea if Teddy Bridgewater will ever play again. And uh, Tom Condon's calling me twice a week now asking about a contract extension. What do you guys, what do you guys think realistically, to taking out what, what we think should happen. What do you guys realistically think is going to going to be a situation where I could see the Vikings certainly entertaining the thought of making a commitment to Bradford that might not sit great with us, but business wise might make sense to the Vikings a little bit. Collar, what did Rick would, say about that today? I think uh, I think that probably the right option would be to wait, and I think sure. that they will wait. Uh, Rick did not talk about that today, 
And if memory serves me, the other day when we asked him uh, in the pre-combine conversation, it uh, was his answer was mostly, we really love Sam Bradford and I made the right deal trading for him, <laughs> I think was mostly uh, the answer, but did not give any real indication of which way they're leaning. Yeah, he said everything's I think in about flux, it, I believe. In, in a little bit of the way that Washington is looking at Kirk Cousins is that maybe they're not entirely sold, but they don't have a better option. So they're just going to keep franchise tagging him, hmm. which uh, it might be what the Vikings end up doing. That's the thing is that there is no gun to their head where it says, though, they, oh, sorry, you've got to make this decision long term or he's walking because you can't just walk out the door if you want to franchise tag him. Of course, that means throwing down a ton of cash on the table. So the long term deal would save a lot of money on the cap as opposed to the franchise tag. But I think if you're the Vikings, you don't feel at a tremendous amount of pressure to make a decision right away. Now, maybe as we go along, if we're nine or ten weeks into the season or whatever, whenever you can ex- extend, guys, I don't know. If, uh, but maybe the, they would be making their decision around then, right? They would be saying, all right, you know, we've seen enough. He's either not good enough to win with or he's definitely the quarterback that was a number one overall pick. So now we know where we're going to go. I think that they have the benefit of taking that time uh, to figure out what they're going to do here and don't have to panic and sign into a long-term deal right now. Well, and there's so many variables here because, you, like you say, you can play it out and franchise him or try to get something done with him before free agency next year, even though that may be more expensive. But the Vikings also love cost certainty. And they like the idea of being able to get these things done ahead of time so they're not having to worry about the franchise tag price or the price of, oh no, our starting quarterback is going to be a free agent in a month and it's February, what do we do? You have that dynamic. You have Teddy Bridgewater's future, which nobody knows what that's going to hold. I I certainly don't think you can plan around that. But maybe you have a little bit more of an idea about that in, in six months, maybe. I mean, you have that, you have... The fact that Bradford came in here last year with a week to learn the playbook and all of these pieces moving around him, it's just, it's really hard at this point, I think, to look at him in a vacuum and say, yes, this is what he is, and this is what he's going to be in our offense, and this is the value on him. This is the guy we want to go forward with. There's just, there are a lot of variables, but there's also, I mean, to me, I, I go back a little bit to that thing of they like cost certainty and for all intents and purposes, Sam Bradford is a first-round pick, and they also very much like to take care of those guys. It would, in my opinion, knowing uh, knowing this front office and ha- having covered this team for a long time now, it would go against everything they believe to put the franchise tag on Bradford. It doesn't mean it's the wrong move, but you know it would kill Rob Brzezinski to oh have gosh, that salary yes. cap hit. I mean, if you are, let's say the sal- let's say the franchise tag because for Cousins, I think it's twenty four. Yeah, for, for this year. Yeah, so let's say so let's say the franchise tag is twenty five and a half million dollars for two thousand eighteen. Are there going to be any other quarterbacks that bump that up in that, the next year? Guys getting there might be, but my point is that would the, in the Vikings world, in point. their mind, that would create havoc with their cap. I just I think it would go. I would be shocked if the Vikings slapped the franchise. It it pained him to do it to Chad Greenway. Yeah. So it's just everything about how they operate and fiscally they operate pretty wisely. I mean they're they're a smart team. Uh, I would be franchise sh- tag twice, I believe, in like the last. Yeah. So I would be. Years. That's why I would be really surprised. Really surprised. But yet you you guys do have a valid point, which is if you sign Bradford to a four year extension now. He's your guy, and th- and this, of course, all goes back to guys to the old conversation of n- now the Teddy might be done. You are right back in this whole box of who's our quarterback. Yeah, I mean, if Bradford, yeah. if you don't think that Bradford is your guy or you're on the fence, then you are really back at the entire conversation of can you find that guy? And 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 unfortunately for the Vikings, since Culpepper went down. It's been a dartboard. Yeah. There's no certainty to it. It's been nothing more than throwing darts at a dartboard. And in 2009 with Brett Favre, it worked. Got to throw darts, maybe. Yeah. So that's. I just wanted to do that <laughs> once. That, that that's where collar. That that's where this gets intriguing to me, though, because it is really going to be a, a test of who the Vikings are to see where this goes. And there is no way that they can be saying realistically, "Well, Teddy might come back." 
Every comment Spielman gives about Bridgewater to me is incredibly telling in the fact that they are scared as hell that his career is done. Yeah. Oh, you definitely can't put him as nope. part of the equation at all, really. And if he uh, did come back, then you've got a, maybe a good problem to have, as uh, sports people like to say. If I put myself in Rick Spielman's shoes and yes. I want to continue to be the general manager of the Minnesota Vikings, I probably do sign Sam Bradford to a long-term contract extension because even though I think, you know, I'm probably not going to win a Super Bowl with this guy unless something really magical happens. I mean, keep in mind that last year is his best career year ever. So more likely is regression than it is that he gets better and better. Uh, Just statistically speaking, um, you know, him having a past that was really mediocre doesn't speak well for what could happen in the future, but what you know you have with Sam Bradford is what he gave you last year is a seven and nine to ten and six type of quarterback. And if everything goes really right and you have a great defense, maybe you can go eleven and five again. Maybe you can even win the division or something like that. It's just very unlikely that you're going to find a way to beat Aaron Rodgers or beat Matt Ryan and so on and so on. To, to get to the end, but if you continually are making the playoffs and are in that conversation every year getting a wild card or, or potentially even winning the division if Aaron Rodgers gets hurt or something, uh, then you know it's a good way to keep your job as a GM. And also, if you trade a first-round pick for a guy who you ultimately make your franchise quarterback, it also reflects better on you and the trade that you made giving away a first-round draft pick. So from that standpoint... You could say, yeah, when my job's not in the on the line, it's easy for me to sit here and go, yeah, don't sign him. Or just uh, you know, franchise him if you have to, but otherwise look for only quarterbacks who can win you the Super Bowl. But from his view, it's like, uh, you know, I do want to continue to have my really great general manager job, so maybe I'll just keep the quarterback that can put us in that conversation year after year. So it would not – I don't feel like there's any pressure for them to do it right away. But it would not surprise me if they did. And as both Mike Zimmer and Pat Shermer's former bosses, Marvin Lewis and Andy Reid, can tell you, going 10 and 6 every year keeps you employed for an awful long time. <laughs> well, we'll wrap it up there. We, uh, we certainly have a lot to chew on both today and in the next week. We'll be back with another edition uh, next Wednesday on Free Agency Eve. I-, I believe we hear from Mike Zimmer at the Combine tomorrow. Matthew is down there. He'll have more on that at 1500ESPN.com, and I'll be. Uh, reacting to the news around the league. It's certainly the news around the Vikings at ESPN.com on my Vikings blog there. And we'll be back with another edition of the Purple Podcast next week. Thanks for listening to this one. We'll talk to you soon.